0: a pretty quick content warning just to cover my bases. Uh, MKUltra was a dark time in CIA's history and they did a lot of nasty things to people who had no idea that these experiments were being done on them. So this is just a little bit of a content warning. There's some darker parts of this story, but it's extremely interesting. So thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Early in the morning of November 28, 1953, in New York City, the manager of the Statler Hotel, dozing off in his office, was startled back awake as he heard the distinct sound of glass shattering and something hitting the pavement outside the hotel. He rushed outside to see what had happened and was shocked as he saw the body of a man, broken and nearly naked, lying on the sidewalk. The manager knelt to see if there was any way he could help, and the man attempted to mumble something before he drew his last breath. He'd fallen from the window on the tenth story of the hotel. A brief investigation ensued and found that the man's name was Frank Olson. Frank's family said they believed Frank had experienced a nervous breakdown and subsequently committed suicide, and the investigation ruled as such. A tragedy, yes, but the case was closed. But it wasn't. In 1975, 22 years later, the investigation was reopened by the Rockefeller Commission, a commission organized by President Gerald Ford in 1975 to investigate the inner workings of the Central Intelligence Agency and the Federal Bureau of Investigation in the United States and the curious amount of classified documents with top-secret clearances. The commission found that nine days before Frank Olson's death, he had a meeting with a friend of his who was, coincidentally, a CIA operative. That friend had secretly dosed Frank with the hallucinogenic drug lysergic acid diethylamide, better known as LSD, and better yet known as acid. Now, this had led to his mental breakdown and subsequent suicide, so... Gerald Ford personally apologized to Frank's family and paid out $750,000 for their grievances. But while President Ford attempted to settle the matter, that investigation raised more questions. These questions were brought to light again in 1994 when another autopsy was performed on Frank's body that revealed cuts and abrasions that were not consistent with the blunt force trauma of a fall. Upon further inspection, an internal wound was found in his chest along with a hematoma on the left side of his head. And both of these injuries were localized, and again, not consistent with the widespread trauma of the fall. It was suggested that these injuries were caused by blunt force before Frank had fallen from the 10th story of the Statler Hotel. And to add to this... Investigators pointed out that it was a bit strange that Frank had leapt from his bed, crossed the hotel room in pitch darkness, and thrown himself through a closed window in the middle of the night while still in his underwear. They suggested that Frank had knowledge of something he shouldn't have, and had, as such, been taken care of in order to keep a secret. Now the biggest question was, what did Frank Olson know? Then the most curious piece of evidence was presented. Frank Olson's dosing of LSD was not an isolated incident. In fact, it was a deeper and more systematic plan by the Central Intelligence Agency that had been kept completely secret from even the most higher echelons of government. This news brought Frank Olson's death into the public eye as it became known that the guy who had dosed Frank with LSD was named Sidney Gottlieb, a chemist with the CIA. Sydney was the leading organizer of this systematic plan, which was a plan to experiment with psychedelic drugs, verbal abuse, psychological and physical torture, and hypnosis on subjects in order to attempt to create a mind-control effect. And the kicker? Many of these subjects had no idea they were the guinea pigs for a top-secret, nefarious, and deadly plot concocted by their own government called... MK Ultra. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. The podcast is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. I am Tanner, and I will be talking about the stuff that happened. If you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast. If you're an old listener, or should I say more experienced listener, I say welcome back. I'm always happy to have you here. This week, we are talking about the MK Ultra Project, also known as Project Bluebird, also known as Project Artichoke, and goes under a lot of other pseudonyms. Now, why are there so many pseudonyms? Well, because the CIA was trying to hide it. Spoiler. Uh, but why? What was going on here? We're diving into a lot of really insane stuff that has actually happened in the past, and we're going to investigate why the term conspiracy theorist is discredited in today's media. Very curious. All right, here we go. But first of all, if you enjoy the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and drop a five-star review. It really does help us get more people involved with the conversations concerning history. And this episode in particular is a bit more wild than most of my other episodes. Anyway, here we go. Many people say that if you lived through the 60s, you probably don't remember it. It's a joke, yeah, but where did that joke come from? Well, in the 1960s, it was the era of psychedelic drugs. In 1963, patents on the drug LSD, which I mentioned earlier, expired, and many people started getting their hands on it and distributing it to the public, where the hippie movement made it one of their staples. But over a decade earlier, the United States government took notice of the drug and decided to investigate its potential uses. With the Cold War heating up and the rise of McCarthyism in the country, it was as if nowhere was safe already, and the Central Intelligence Agency was about to make it even less safe. We're not going too far back, but far back enough that we need our trusty time machine. Here we go. It's 1955, and we are in a secret operations center somewhere. Don't know where, but somewhere. And in this secret operations center, an official document is being written to highlight the aims of a two-year-old project being helmed by figures of the relatively young Central Intelligence Agency. The project had been founded in 1953 as the Korean War was coming to a close, and it was centered around becoming a counter to reports of strange torture practices being perpetrated on American prisoners of war in the Soviet Union, North Korea, and China during the war. These torture practices involved, primarily, the use of psychedelic drugs to create a mind-controlling effect on the prisoners. The rivalry between the communists and the capitalists was getting serious, and the United States had to make sure it was always a level playing field, so this organization was founded to put into action a new project called MKUltra that would be a response to these strange reports. I mean if China North Korea and the Soviet Union could use mind control in order to glean information from captured soldiers why couldn't the United States do the same Now the name MK Ultra had a twofold meaning MK two capital letters denoted that the project was managed by the CIA's Technical Services Staff or TSS who specialized in new technologies and Ultra meant that the project required the absolute highest security clearance in order to gain access. In 1955, an official document was written detailing the intentions of the group, and I will now read a segment of the document. The segment that I'm reading holds 17 of the studies intended to be conducted by this project. It's going to get a little bit repetitive, but I believe it's important to understand exactly what they were trying to set out to accomplish. 17 parts. Number 1. Investigate substances which will promote illogical thinking and impulsiveness to the point where the recipient would be discredited in public. Number 2. Substances which will increase the efficiency of mentation and perception. 3. Materials which will prevent or counteract the intoxicating effect of alcohol. 4. Materials which will promote the intoxicating effect of alcohol. 5. Materials which will produce the signs and symptoms of recognized diseases in a reversible way so they may be used for malingering, etc. 6. Materials which will render the induction of hypnosis easier or otherwise enhance its usefulness. 7. Substances which will enhance the ability of individuals to withstand privation, torture, and coercion during interrogation and so-called, quote, brainwashing. 8. Materials and physical methods which will produce amnesia for events preceding and during their use. 9. Physical methods of producing shock and confusion over extended periods of time and capable of surreptitious use. 10. Substances which produce physical disablement such as paralysis of the legs, acute anemia, etc. 11. Substances which will produce, quote, pure euphoria with no subsequent letdown. 12. Substances which alter personality structure in such a way the tendency of the recipient to become dependent upon another person is enhanced. 13. A material which will cause mental confusion of such a type, the individual under its influence will find it difficult to maintain a fabrication under questioning... 14. Substances which will lower the ambition and general working efficiency of men when administered in undetectable amounts. 15. Substances which promote weakness or distortion of the eyesight or hearing faculties, preferably without permanent effects. 16. A knockout pill which can be surreptitiously administered in drinks, food, cigarettes, as an aerosol, etc., which will be safe to use, provide a maximum of amnesia, and be suitable for use by agent types on an ad hoc basis. And 17. A material which can be surreptitiously administered by the above roots and which in very small amounts will make it impossible for a person to perform physical activity. That's all 17. And to put it simply, the CIA was getting ready to fight dirty, and they were messing around in dangerous waters to make it happen. And if you thought this was scary, I'm about to blow your mind. When the project got underway in earnest, the project managers realized that it was going to be very difficult to find people who'd be willing to be experimented on with brand new psychedelic drugs, with the pure intention of altering the way they perceived the world, maybe with permanent consequences. And while there were a select few people willing to participate, they would have to be put under an extremely watchful eye in order to not expose the secrets of this operation to the public. Well, it's probably likely that the CIA had plenty of funding for this, they just didn't have the time or the energy to try to find these people and corral them and monitor them constantly. It wasn't worth it. So, they did what was the next best idea. Obviously experiment on people who either didn't know they were being experimented on, or experiment on people who had no power to object. For the next decade or more, the CIA infiltrated a number of institutions, many of which have gone unnamed, and many of which were listed under the registry of mental hospitals in the country, even finding their way all the way up into Canada. And in these mental hospitals... CIA operatives would dose mental patients with LSD and monitor their behavior for days at a time. In one of the most horrifying cases, they dosed a patient with the drug for 147 days straight. The focus of this was to research if the drug had the ability to numb the patient enough to be able to force information from them without their knowledge. Now, does that sound illegal? Well it was. According to the Nuremberg trials post-World War II, it was against the law to perform an experiment of any kind on an unwitting subject without their informed consent. Basically, no. You couldn't drug someone without them knowing. Along with LSD, other drugs were used as well, notably heroin, morphine, mescaline, psilocybin, alcohol, and others. And in one study, Barbiturates were injected into the left arm of a subject to put them to sleep, but just as they were dozing off, amphetamines were injected into their right arm, causing the subject to jolt awake and start babbling incoherently. Again, illegal? I think so, as this could fall under a form of unethical torture. But it turns out, this practice actually worked from time to time to get the answers from the subject they needed when under the influence. But it wasn't enough. Mental patients were already psychologically compromised, and results could not be completely accurate. They needed sound minds for their experiments. But the problem was that if they experimented on people and released them back into the public, it endangered the secrecy of the whole mission. The question was, where could they get fresh meat? Enter Senator Joseph McCarthy of Wisconsin, in office from 1950 to 1954. With the heat-up of the Cold War, McCarthy had taken up the mantle of single-handedly protecting the United States from the scourge of communism, and he did this by accusing anyone who showed any remotely suspicious activity of being a Soviet spy. This included, but was not limited to, other members of Congress and even, eventually, an officer of the U.S. Army, leading to a rise of an ideology now remembered as McCarthyism which was the vociferous campaign against members of his own nation who, when accused, lost their jobs and were blacklisted from most workplaces, even though the presence of evidence to support McCarthy's claims were few and far between. But the amount of accusations caused a nationwide panic, and no one was safe. Eventually, dozens of people were being accused of being Soviet spies, and some disappeared from the public eye. But where did they go? Well, in Japan, Germany, and in the Philippines, the CIA had built secret facilities far from the public eye where they were able to test their experiments. And many of their subjects happened to be the victims of McCarthy's movement. Although, during McCarthy's reign of terror, the CIA had graduated from using only psychedelic drugs to more nefarious methods of interrogation. People who were once regular citizens participating in public office and accused of Russian collusion were suddenly vanishing from society, finding themselves halfway around the world, isolated in a strange, secret military complex, and subjected to not just psychoactive drugs, but also electroshock torture, extremes of temperature, sensory isolation, and other psychological abuses while being interrogated, all in the name of developing a better understanding of how to destroy and to control human minds. How many of these poor souls were actually Russian spies? It's hard to say, but in my opinion, probably not many. One of the most infamous cases of MKUltra's destructive power began in 1959 at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. A young, brilliant man who had graduated from high school at the age of 15 and enrolled in Harvard at the age of 16 was asked to be part of a clinical research study in which he heartily agreed. The study was to take place over three years, and he was to spend one to two hours a week participating actively. For the first bit of the study, the young man was told that he would be spending this time actively debating with a fellow student, and he was ordered to write down a series of essays detailing his personal beliefs and aspirations. Then, for one to two hours a week, the young man was hooked up to a series of machines that monitored his brain activity, and a camera that was positioned in a way that it would take pictures of his face during the session. A professor or other official would enter the room and spend the session ridiculing the personal beliefs and aspirations of the young man. The machines would monitor his brain function, and the camera would take pictures that detailed the anger and discomfort on the young man's face, which would then be shown back to him at later sessions. This carried on for three years. The young man was 17 when he began participating in the study, and 20 when he graduated from Harvard and left the study altogether. In those three years, he had spent at least 200 hours having his personal belief systems and ideas ridiculed constantly. Those three years are some of the most critical in the psychological development of the young adult mind, and the strain this project put on the young man proved too much. Twenty years later, the young man would move to the wilderness of Montana, live isolated in a cabin, And build and mail bombs to various universities and airports, successfully murdering three and injuring dozens of others. He would write a manifesto that condemned the expansion of technology in the modern age, which was published in the Washington Post. And after 17 years of instilling fear into the public, he was apprehended in April of 1996 and sentenced to life in solitary confinement. He'd had the option to plead insanity, which would cause him to avoid prison and be admitted instead to a high security mental hospital, but he refused. The experiments done upon him were a detachment of MK Ultra and had forever corrupted his mind. Who was this poor young man who was determined to exact his revenge on the universities of the nation? His name was Ted Kaczynski. And he will always be remembered as the Unabomber. But as the project was becoming more dangerous, it stayed a secret to the public until the 1970s, when a government-wide reckoning hit the federal government of the United States with unstoppable force. In 1972, the Watergate scandal in the Nixon administration made global news headlines, and President Nixon resigned. In the wake of the scandal, government agencies across the board fell into a state of perpetual anxiety as their secrets no longer felt airtight. In the aftermath of the scandal, and with the inevitable investigations that would penetrate every part of the United States secret operations, CIA Director Richard Helms ordered that every single document, file, or trace of the MK Ultra experiments be destroyed. Not a shred of evidence could remain, and it's because of this that the true scope of MKUltra may never be known by those who did not participate in it. But, during this purging of documents, several brave and unnamed individuals within the CIA were able to smuggle documents out before they were destroyed. These are the documents we now have to work with, and the documents the Rockefeller Commission dug up during their investigation. By this point, for at least a decade, there had been rumors in the United States that the government was participating in something extremely dark and nefarious the CIA had actually launched a campaign to discredit the term conspiracy theory as some outlandish plot with no basis in reality, only really perpetuated by rednecks living in the backwoods and your crazy uncle that your parents don't let come to the family reunions anymore. But have you ever seen modern newspapers call these whistleblowers conspiracy theorists and using it as a way to discredit them? Yeah, this still happens. But in the 70s, it backfired. In 1974, the New York Times dropped a bombshell report alleging that the CIA had conducted illegal activities on unwitting U.S. citizens during the 1960s. The next year, the Rockefeller Commission confirmed this was true. In 1976, President Gerald Ford signed an executive order that prohibited, quote, experimentation with drugs on human subjects except with the informed consent in writing and witnessed by a disinterested party of each such human subject. In 1977, 20,000 pages of records were discovered that held information regarding MKUltra, specifically where the funding for the projects came from. Turns out, the federal government had allocated at least $10 million to the MKUltra project, which would come out to almost $100 million in 2020. In the files, it was discovered that MKUltra had conducted experiments in at least 80 different institutions, including but not limited to colleges and universities, hospitals, prisons, and pharmaceutical companies, all under the pseudonym of Project Bluebird or Project Artichoke. It was also found that the CIA had been hiring prostitutes to lure men to hotel rooms and dose them with LSD under the project name Operation Midnight Climax. A bit tongue-in-cheek, obviously, and those revelations are just what survived the purge. So how many documents were destroyed that held more information of just how big this whole thing got. Dozens of CIA operatives were questioned on the floor of the United States Senate, though many either didn't know anything about the project or were lying about it. Oh, oh, and remember Sidney Gottlieb, the mastermind of the project, the guy who had this idea to do this whole thing? He'd retired two years earlier, and when he was questioned about it, he just told the interviewers that he didn't remember anything about the project despite the documentation that only five years earlier he had expressly stated that the entire project was a failure with hardly any useful information gained. So what was Sidney Gottlieb hiding? Now, almost a half a century since the project officially ended, the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States is adamant that any sort of MKUltra-style experiments have ceased altogether. But some people still claim that the government is up to no good. And it's only a matter of time before it all comes out again. The project has inspired numerous movies and TV shows that capitalize on the possibility of more MKUltra projects. You ever seen Stranger Things on Netflix or the Jason Bourne trilogy? Or the movie Jacob's Ladder? Maybe you've read Stephen King's book Firestarter or listened to the song MKUltra by Muse. Maybe you've even, if you're really brave, played the horror survival video game Outlast or Outlast 2. Every single one of these has some allusion to the horrifying experiments conducted by the CIA in the 1950s, 1960s, and 1970s. So now, in 2020, there are two possibilities. One, the CIA was able to hide one of the most disturbing experiments they've ever conducted for three decades, only to have it exposed and shut down, never to start again. Or, that's all true, but they were able to keep parts of this project hidden, and conspiracy theories abound that many celebrities are the products of mind control meant to distract us from what's really going on in the world. But now these are just conspiracy theories after all. But remember, the CIA purposefully tried to discredit the term conspiracy theory, and it seems to have worked, if you read the news today. That's just some food for thought. And that's going to do it for the podcast today, everybody. Thank you so much for joining in. It means a lot to me that you all want to listen to the crazy stuff that I have to say. Um, If you enjoy the podcast, like I said before, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and drop me a five-star review to let me know that you love me and you love what I do. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, keep your eyes open and learn some more history to see how everything in the world fits together, works together, and creates this beautiful society that we have today. Catch you next week.